Welcome to the Long-Term Care Chronicles podcast. In today's episode, we will be speaking with Dr. Doris Grinspun, who is the Chief Executive Officer of the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario. Dr. Grinspun has been a fierce advocate during this pandemic, especially about the long-term care sector. And in today's episode, we will discuss the year in review. So let's have a listen. Doris, for coming back on to the Long-Term Care Chronicles podcast this afternoon um, to discuss the one year uh, since you were last on and, of course, the events of the pandemic and what the RNEO has been championing during this pandemic. I know that uh, last year, May, uh, you there was the Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, alluded to the fact of hoping to you know, complete your promise of restoring the top, uh, Canada's top nursing position. And here we are, July 2021. What is the status? Can you give us an update on that? Thank you so much for asking me. So yes, we had the pleasure last year of taking uh, Prime Minister Trudeau to visit with the Ottawa Public Health Unit as part of RNL's Take Your MPP to Work or Take Your MP to Work in this case. Uh, It really was a very pleasurable moment. He was so engaged and so in tune into talking with the frontline nurses that were doing huge amounts of contact tracing at the time. Um, And also to speak with myself and with my president and my president, immediate past president, we really had a marvelous time. Uh, And with the chief nurse of the Ottawa Public Health Unit, uh, Esther Mogan, and so it was fantastic. And with Dr. Vera Hatches, which is the, the medical officer of health. And in the many things that we discussed was prime minister. I said, I have one request for you. Please restore the position mm-hmm. of the chief nursing officer for Canada, which is a position that we had for decades, Wendy, for mm-hmm. decades and uh, with fantastic people. And what happened is that during the time of uh, then Prime Minister uh, Stephen Harper, uh, as many things, this one went to, um, and it was uh, very traumatic for the nursing community. And that's why I took the opportunity to ask the Prime Minister, and then I followed up with a letter. And he did commit to look into this. He did commit into looking into this. I followed up with his office, and I was told um, that uh, now is, you know, the thick of the pandemic is, is not uh, the best time to look into this simply because they didn't have the capacity. So this um, weekend, as, as it happens, uh, once again, we renewed the call with tweets, uh, many, many tweets and many people writing. And this week I will again be um, connecting with this office to see if uh, they could make it an announcement. Uh, I was hoping it will be during nursing week in May, this past May, but it didn't happen for the reasons I just mentioned. Well, now that the pandemic is kind of, you know, more calm uh, and that he knows and everybody knows how much nurses have done for this country, uh, what better way to recognize from a federal government perspective uh, than to appoint um, a chief nurse officer for Canada. Many countries have it. 
we need to have it. So count on it. I hope that in a few months I can talk with you that this is actually in place. And by the way, people have asked me if that's the position I want next, no. So let's be very clear about that. No, it's not for me. I'm very happy where I am uh, and I'm not moving from here. Uh, but yes, do I have people in mind that can do a fantastic job? Absolutely. Are there nurses ready to go with these fantastic people? Absolutely. What we need is the position. Yes, absolutely. And hopefully the prime minister can get back to you uh, with that because that would be fantastic. Yes. And I just wanted to go into last year, last July, again, the RNAO champion for the reintegration of essential caregivers back into long-term care. And can you just give us some of the highlights of what you've seen with that integration being so successful? So, so first, let me say that although we have had many pulls and push with uh, Premier uh, Ford on many issues related to long-term care, as you know, and some other issues, we also have had some clear wins, and this one is the most important one. So I'm glad you are asking, Wendy, because it's very easy to criticize this or other governments all the time. But on the issue of reuniting families, and I always say it's Rana at the premier's office who, like I am talking with you actually, Wendy, I was talking with the group of families and it was so heartbreaking. I took the phone, I called Rana at the premier's office and I said, Rana, I have families here. Can you help me please? Because this, is, this cannot continue. And she deserves credit because single-handedly with, of course, the premier consent, I'm assuming, right? Uh, she shepherded in to the long-term care ministry that was not listening to us at all during the time of Minister Fullerton, with sadness I say, and I can talk about the new minister if you want later on. But Shana did push for that. And we were the first province Wendy, we were the first province that opened the doors to essential care partners. Remember, we had the paper reuniting families with their loved ones. That was the paper we put. And some others, as you know, uh, Nathan Stoll had spoken about that and, and Samir Singh had, had spoken, but we, we got the ball rolling on this one. So I take credit for that, but I give the credit to Rana that made it happen. So uh, very proud that Ontario, there are few areas where I'm very proud of Ontario. This is one that we were the first and although not perfect, at least it happened and then it improved and improved. Uh, if you remember also when the visits, the people, people start, uh, were able to start to visit and, and go outside, they reopen a bit the province and they forgot the nursing homes that people could come out of visit. They could go out for a dentist, but they could not go out to have a walk with their loved ones. That again, I called the premier's office and within 24 hours, they corrected that. So in that, they have been very attentive. And also in the way that um, Minister Elliott and others have worked with indigenous communities for vaccination. My gosh, we were afraid, afraid, afraid of what will happen if vaccination is not done fast and well with indigenous communities and the virus takes over there, 
like the wildfires in BC, quite frankly, we were so afraid that this will be a tragedy. And to the credit of Dr. Tien from Orange and the minister's office, Christine Elliott um, and others, uh, Dr. Bogos and others, and of course, my guru, uh, my guru who is Meikat, who is a nurse practitioner who you should interview one time, who is uh, who lives in 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 the communities. Uh, they really work with the chiefs on the communities beautifully, collaboratively, listening to indigenous communities. If we could just learn from that, Wendy, to listen to indigenous peoples the way we did for the vaccination, we wouldn't be having the tragedies that we are hearing every day with unmarked graves, with people, children that cannot drink tap water like you and I can drink clean water. If we would just listen to them and partner with, with indigenous communities and give them their rights, their rights, Wendy, they're not asking for more than that. And the vaccination is the perfect example where that was done well. And the results are amazing. From what I understand, about 90% of people in the indigenous communities have been vaccinated. So that tells you when you partner with people and do, and do vaccination in the way that people want, not that we may conceptualize. The same goes for black communities and the same goes for uh, workers in, um, in a warehouses or factories. If we just would bring the vaccines to them, same with nursing homes, Wendy only 50, 60 or 70% in some homes of staff are vaccinated, the rest are not. And you heard an outbreak yesterday that thankfully all the residents were vaccinated so they didn't end up in the hospital. Yeah. But it, that is when you don't have the great majority of staff vaccinated, that's what happens. But bring the vaccines to them rather than say, go and travel two hours to get the vaccine and have the nurses in the homes giving them the vaccines versus a stranger, you will have a lot more of a trust, right? People, some people are afraid. Some people have histories of being, being you know, um, uh, being experimented on, not only indigenous communities, black communities too. So let's start where people are so that uh, we do things well. And that's what happened with indigenous communities and with the visit, visiting with families that are silver linings of things we did well. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for that. Because right now, the RNAO still has some current ongoing action alerts, such as the new builds, which should be more like villages and not these big warehouses. Yes. As well as to the second point is to suspend or rescind the licenses of repeat offenders. And then of course, the legislate the basic care guarantee. Well, let me tell you about the licenses because that's one where I say government has not done well. I mean, seriously, Wendy, Orchard Villa, what can I tell you? I mean, I was involved deeply with Orchard Villa trying to fix their mess because a minister called me home at 11 p.m. I'm not going to say more on that, but 
to give to that home. It's, I just heard on the weekend, an extension of a 30 years license. All I can think is what skeletons are in the closet that you give anyone a license of 30 years without investigating what happened there. And it's a, a, a sad thing to say what skeleton is in the closet because how many people die and perish in that home and in others. I think homes that have underperformed, have neglected their residents, do not deserve not only not an extension, do not deserve to expand their beds, which again has happened, they got more beds, and should be closed. If you ask me, they should be closed. And they should reopen with, once they learn to do things better. No, not good, not good at all. Because right now, it's now July, and here we have a new Minister of Long-Term Care in Ontario. We have now Minister Phillips. Have you had any discussions with uh, Minister Phillips that you'd like to share with us? So, Wendy, if I tell you with sadness that Minister Fullerton, in the 17 months prior to Minister Phillips, did never take the phone to call and say, how are nurses or how are others doing or what do you think we should do or anything, Wendy, anything. I say it with sadness. I cannot say the same for, for her parliamentary assistant, Effie. She is fantastic. But the minister herself, unfortunately, never, ever connected with us. Um, and we, as you know, submitted the nursing home basic care guarantee. We asked to meet, etc. The last time I saw Minister Fullerton was a few days before the pandemic was a pandemic in a in meeting person where I went again to plea with my team for um, Basically, what was the nursing home basic care guarantee? The same. We have been asking that from 2016. In the Mind the Gap a report, we ask recommendation eight is about exactly that. Uh, four hours of worked hours of care for uh, every resident in every nursing home, of which the skill mix needs to be 20% RNs, 25% RPNs, 55% PSW, that's the four hours. And then we also ask for one nurse practitioner for every 120 residents. And then we ask for one nurse for IPAC, infection prevention and control. Since 2016, Wendy, like we would have been in a better shape if we would have listened back then, previous government even, and then this government, but that didn't happen. Well, I have good news, at least in form, we will see in function later on, and I will report back to whoever that asked me, because the first day on the job, I was uh, actually writing something. And I was, um, it was a difficult writing of a situation. And then the phone rings. And I, of course, I, I have it down, right? So I can work. Oh, no, the phone again. And I am going to be again distracted from finishing this difficult piece. And I take the phone and I say, Rod Phillips. So of course I answered, I would have answered anyways if I took the phone, but I answered. And I said to him, my first words to him, because I have met him before uh, in his previous capacity. Uh, first, 
it was very, it was very heartwarming that he said, I would not end the day without calling you. And he also said, I'm so sorry to what happened to him. You know, remember during Christmas and he was so um, authentic and sincere. It, he heard, uh, I know him, he, he, he sounded that way. And I say, you know, Rod, we all make mistakes in life. The fact that you are saying you're sorry. And he had his mother um, in a nursing home. So it, 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 it shared quite a bit with me of what had happened. He lost his mother. So this has been not an easy year for him. And, uh, and I said, you are like a breath of fresh air. I said, I cannot tell you something that is not the truth because 17 months and I didn't hear from Minister Fullerton even once. And you are the first day in the job and you are calling and we are going to work together and we are going to solve the issues because the issues need to be solved. Uh, Wendy, this has been two, two decades in the making, if not more. This disaster, it has been, and, and it just suffered utter abandonment as you heard me every time I speak with you. So now we need to push more than ever, in fact, because you will see in the next issue of the RNJ an interview with um, Commission in Morocco about his learnings from the pandemic and about the commission and about what he thinks, etc. and what's next. And he says, and he's right, he says, um, well, I did a report, 84 recommendations. My report is not for me to advocate, it's for others to advocate for. And so you bet, Wendy, that we will be at the forefront of fighting that every single one of those 84 recommendations, same as we are fighting for the recommendations of the Truth and Reconciliation, 94 and only 20 have been implemented in the Truth of Reconciliation of our indigenous you know, communities. That needs to be implemented. This needs to be implemented and other aspects of other vulnerable communities need to be prevented. This is all, if you think about ageism, racism, all the isms that we know, exactly. right? So uh, I hope that um, maybe you have the opportunity to interview him. If you want, I can connect you. That would be quite amazing. Uh, but if not, you will have our piece in the journal and give it legs because we need to all push, push. Uh, he took the entire, all the nursing home care guarantees there. All the issue of the construction being different is there. Like we need to stop, we need to stop thinking about nursing homes as a place where you just, you know, have residents rather than have residents live in happiness till the last minute of their life. Definitely, and I'm glad that you had a positive interaction with Minister Fuller, Phillips. And the other thing is back it in October- It gives me hope, right? It gives yeah. me hope. Uh, at least it's a door that is open. Yes. Not a door that I have felt all along has been slammed in our face. That's the way I yes. felt before, unfortunately. Yes, uh, yeah, and that is very unfortunate. Because um, I'm going to speak back to an, an action alert you still have open from last year, October, 
and it was again about national standards and now the conversation pretty much has been since the beginning of this year about national standards and now there's a committee um can i just get your thoughts on um on that yeah so i understand that the Samir Sinha is leading that committee with the HSO and uh, that they're doing work. I know as much as you, no more, no less. Uh, did I apply to it? Yes, I did apply. Was I accepted? No. Uh, many others were not. Samir sent me a very nice note, but that's not here nor there. Notes don't help. Being involved help. So I hope that he will see fit to use our uh, well-documented, well-respected materials. Um, and, uh, and uh, yeah, I, I looked at who is involved. Many of the people that are involved, I'm not familiar with. I don't see many advocates. I think there should be. I don't see many families that are advocates in the front lines like you or like, you know, others. Um, I don't know. Maybe they wanted people that are more quiet. I don't know. I, I know they will produce good work. Yes. Uh, I do hope that they recognize the work of others. Sometimes that's yeah. definitely because it definitely is needed. And going back to the second and third time that you came on to the podcast, we talked about nurses and we talked about, you know, the difficulty of this pandemic and of course the shortages and of course the burnout. And we've seen some of that play out where some have, you know, taken their lives. Some have been sick because of COVID-19 um, can you just let us know as to what nurses are now feeling? And then, of course, um, I'll follow that up with Bill 124 as well here in Ontario. Nurses are feeling um, exhausted. That's the, that's the summary in one word. Um, thankfully, the pandemic now is a bit more, you know, subsiding. Uh, but we are not done. Wendy, we are not done with Delta virus and then Delta plus and maybe others, we are not done. So nurses will continue to be uh, um, extensively needed in the system. At the same time, we will want to uh, get people that have been waiting in backlogs of procedures, of surgeries, etc. We will want them to be served because just picture if you were a person that has cancer or needs tests for whatever condition, like the fear inside your heart and your body and your mind, right? Of, of not being treated in a timely fashion. So all of that will create tremendous pressures in health human resources and in particular in nursing. And nurses have said to us in our surveys, a good percentage, an excess of at least uh, I would say 8%, 5 to 8% in excess of every year in the cohort from 22 to 40 will be leaving the profession, either going to the U.S. to the U.S. is uh, desperately looking for nurses to arrange and they want arrange with the baccalaureate and that's what we produce. So uh, they're coming, you know, with the bite to try to get them there. Uh, so we need to work urgently on retention first and recruitment of RNs. In particular, that's the ones that the U.S. wants uh, and of nurse practitioners. Um, because that's what the U.S. will take, right? The U.S. doesn't, doesn't take other categories of nurses. 
And what we need to do is number one, repeal Bill 124 to send a message that you are valued for all healthcare professionals. I don't think only for RNs and NPs, for RNs, NPs, RPNs, um, for every healthcare professional, this bill was done before the pandemic. It now should be repealed. So the message is we will uphold and respect negotiations between the different uh, professional, the different professions unions. And let me remind people we are not the union, so I'm not looking at the self-interest of RNAO, on our union, but let them negotiate in good faith. You know, and if the negotiations ends up in a one percent, which I doubt, fine, but it will not, because you will not retain nurses with the one percent, and therefore, if you don't retain nurses, you will not have enough human resources for surgeries and for looking after people after surgeries, because while the surgeon may do the surgery, you need in that operating room arrangements, you need in the recovery room arrangements. You need in the, if it's an intensive surgery, intense surgery, you need in the uh, ICU or critical areas arrangements. You need in the emergency room arrangements for regular things. You need that the first visit in home care be an RN after a surgery, and then it can be delegated to an RPN or even to a PSW, depending on what's needed. But without RNs, you basically collapse the system. You collapse the system. Yeah, hopefully that can be, you know, definitely looked at. And now, you know, I think we, I think I, I was talking with the ministry today yeah. about that. I think it's a must. I think it's a must for retention. Also, it's a must to remember that in Ontario we have many good programs that other provinces don't have. We have the new grad guarantee. When you graduate, we guarantee full time for you. Who else has it? We have the advanced clinical fellowships that we give funding to your organization to allow you to deepen your expertise on an area. We have, as you know, the tremendous evidence-based guidelines that the entire world over is using. They are from Ontario. They are from RNO, working with experts, right? Um, so we have, we have the tuition reimbursement, right? So we need to talk more about also the good things Ontario has to retain nurses, but we definitely, definitely need to do away with Bill 124, repeal it completely. I think you will see the same with teachers, by the way. Um, I cannot speak for teachers, but that's my impression. And also, uh, we need to increase the seats in universities for baccalaureate prepared nurses and for nurse practitioners. And during nursing week, the premier did announce they are increasing by 800 the seats in addition to the usual the seats for baccalaureate prepared nurses. So that is very good. We now need at least a hundred more NPs in new seats also to be increased. So we are looking forward to seeing something on that. Definitely. And, and the fact that you mentioned with the nurse practitioners, the fact that they were just only in 160 long-term care facilities here in the province, and you're, you're recommending that they be in way more so they are in less than that. They're in about only 70 percent, I okay. believe, nursing homes. And we are asking that you need one nurse practitioner per 120 residents in every single nursing home, because the homes that have nurse practitioners perform significantly better. Not always they avoided to have COVID because people brought it, but they catched it quickly and they 
fare significantly better than the homes that didn't have. Yeah, definitely. And now that, you know, hopefully we're coming, we're seeing the end, you know, or closest to uh, with this pandemic. And of course, the pandemic has, of course, brought forth the realities of what is going on in long term care. Do you now think this is the moment where things will actually change in the long-term care sector? I think the fact that an election is coming uh, will put a huge pressure in fixing long-term care because what's the promise, right? So I think you will see election questions, I think will be about long-term care. Election questions will be about backlog of surgeries. Election questions uh, likely will be about um, recovery, economic recovery. And in that, Arenio's position is a just recovery for all, not only for the affluent, but recovery for all. Because if not, we will end up with more gap between halves and halves not. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So thank you so much, Doris, for coming on. Really do appreciate your time and for speaking to us today. So thank you again. Thank you so much. And thank you for what you do, because that helps uh, the public. So certainly the public in the, in the social media world, which is every day more and more extensive. And each one of your pieces has been magnificent. So thank you so much for, for your podcast. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode. And if you liked it, please make sure to like, subscribe, and follow wherever you're listening to podcasts.